Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And if you're scrambling uh, in the final days to file your taxes here, we thought it was the perfect time to talk about the IRS because this week the IRS rolled out its long-awaited funding plan, this extra money that Democrats provided them to try to shore up this agency, uh, improve service, and go after tax cheats. We want to talk about all that and more, other tax issues too. Joining me to do that is the tax policy reporter at CQ Roll Call, Laura Weiss. Thanks for being here, Laura, and welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you filed your taxes? Yeah, yeah. I have. Have you? I did. Yeah, I know there are last minute stragglers out there uh, approaching the big deadline. Yeah, still some time. <laughs> so speaking of which, you know, the IRS has faced a lot of criticism. It's become a big political football. Republicans certainly want to beat up on it. Uh, this goes back years based on accusations that the IRS was targeting conservative nonprofit groups, right, uh, for extra scrutiny. And so Republicans started cutting their budgets, which has made it harder and harder, of course, for the IRS to um, meet the demand and and give people semi-decent customer service as they try to file their taxes. Um, And so Democrats are trying to do something about that. What are they trying to do? What did we learn this week about what the plan is? Yeah, so I think we got some more clarity, some more detail on exactly what the IRS envisions for this $80 billion over the next 10 years, which is quite a lot of money uh, for the IRS to spend. And it started this week, uh, you know, Danny Werfel, the new IRS commissioner and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen gave speeches at his sort of ceremonial swearing in. And they both talked about this vision of transformational change for the IRS you know, in the years to come, this is going to be a totally new experience of the IRS for for everyone, essentially. And I, I think that you see a little bit of that in this, in this plan, uh, sort of the sense a lot of the goals are nearer term, are pegged to, you know, the next few fiscal years, but um, it starts to give a sense of what they're looking at. So we knew that in general, they were looking at uh, beefing up tax enforcement with a focus on wealthier people, on bigger corporations, and on owners of pass-through businesses, which is basically pay taxes, passes through to your personal tax return, but it's a more complex business structure, uh, harder to audit. And we knew that would be the enforcement focus, and we knew there would be some customer service focus, uh, some attempt to bring the IRS into the 21st century, 
because it's still quite reliant on mail, on paper, on things that most people aren't, aren't dealing with the way they used to and, until they hear from the IRS. So, um, but we got some more sense of that. Things like this push for customer service is also going to mean the IRS might let you know, hey, you can get this tax credit. We're going to let you know, get this tax break you're owed, or we're going to try to help more, you. More proactive uh, approach by the IRS, you mean, to, to reach out to reach out to people who aren't even calling them and, and say, uh, here's a tax credit for you? Yeah, and that they're looking at it not just to collect more money, but also in those kinds of areas, uh, a focus also on just being quicker, being, frankly, easier to deal with, less of a headache. Um, and this vision of that in within five years, you can just go online and do everything you need to do. You can correspond with the IRS. You don't have to send a letter in the mail. You can check the status of refunds or tax returns. And so we're getting some more information about what this uh, would look like. Right. So, I mean, on the one hand, improving customer service is, is not a controversial issue, right? Who's going to oppose that? On the other hand, this is a lot of money, as you said, $80 billion over a decade that we should say was passed without a single Republican vote, right? This came as part of a a Democratic-only reconciliation package last year that Republicans really resented. So Republicans are not are not eager to play along with this shoring up the IRS, mostly because, not the customer service piece, but mostly because of the tax enforcement effort. I think almost half of this new funding would go to tax enforcement. And we, for months last year, we had Republicans railing against this, saying the IRS was going to have a, an army of new auditors, you know, who were going to be, be cracking down on every struggling middle class family out there and making life miserable for them. Help us sort that out. Is there going to be an army of new auditors? How do Democrats respond to that? I mean, because a, a big piece of this is the enforcement, is the enforcement effort. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the IRS does include in this plan a little bit of information on their hiring plans, um, looking at hiring new enforcement staff in the first couple of years. And they, you know, put basically in that they're expecting about 1,500 new hires this year, over 7,000 in the 2024 fiscal year. Uh, but that's just sort of a short-term look. They don't give this you know, full decade-long look at how much enforcement staff they are going to hire. Uh, Danny Werfel, in a call with reporters, basically said you know, they're going to see what they need. They're also going to see how technology helps. One of the things that's emerged more this week is a lot of looking at uh, how data analytics implementing technology, more modern systems and ways of doing things would also contribute to this enforcement crackdown. It's not just hiring auditors. It's also things like that that can uh, boost what they're what they're doing on enforcement. So he sort of explained this as their hiring plans, you know, eight years from now, 
uh, they're going to wait and see what they need. But this is leaving a hole for Republican criticism because Republicans have really taken issue with uh, this view that they're going to hire all these new auditors. Um, Democrats have said this is the new hires we've talked about in the past also include customer service agents, people to answer the phones, replacing people who've retired. But, you know, there will be uh, new staff they're bringing in because part of the goal here is to have the expertise to actually do really complex audits that can take a lot of time and, uh, you know, a lot of knowledge and skill. So I think that's going to continue to be a flashpoint. Republicans, you know, were not happy with this plan. Yeah. So, but let's get to the heart of the political fight over this, which is you hear Democrats say that, yes, they're going to go after tax cheats with more enforcement because we want wealthy tax cheats to pay their share of taxes and help reduce deficits and not without having to cut services. And the point is to go after all of these wealthy, you know, businesses and rich people who who are getting away with murder here and, and aren't paying their all the taxes they owe. And Republicans are pushing back, saying, no, it's going to target everybody with, with more audits. So who's right on this? Can we tell yet? Yeah, well, that that's exactly the divide here, David. And I think we we don't can't necessarily tell yet. I think we'll see what audit rates are over time. That's really the only way to know who's getting audited is when the IRS releases that data over time and tells us. But I think that one piece of this is the Biden administration has made this pledge, uh, Secretary Yellen, that people making less than $400,000 per year, small businesses with income less than $400,000 per year, won't be seeing an increase in audit rates compared to historical levels. And that piece of it, the term historical levels, has been a point of a lot of controversy. Republicans look at that and say, what kind of promise is that? Uh, You know, people making less money, lower middle income people have always faced, you know, a good amount of, of tax audits. But what the Biden administration, I think, is trying to do here, they have President Biden made this campaign trail pledge that has come back, I think, to haunt them a lot of times, uh, that taxes wouldn't go up for people making under $400,000 per year. And that's led to a lot of use of that specific number uh, in, right. uh, in tax proposals. And I think that the plan does not necessarily do a lot to provide more clarity on that. Commissioner Werfel did talking to reporters. He was stronger on it. He was saying for years to come, we have so much to do to go after wealthy people and big businesses. That's going to be all we're doing uh, with this money for at least years to come. He didn't say a particular date of what that means, but he just said we have so much work to do there that for years, the average taxpayer we're not even going to come close to historic audit audit rates. Um, so that sounds pretty strong, as though you know the the middle class and lower shouldn't have much to worry about in terms of audits. Yeah, 
And I think one one reason here why my hunch of why uh, there might be this little bit of flexibility in the phrase that the Biden administration has used is one thing that Commissioner Werfel pointed out is they don't want to ignore someone who is saying, for he gave the example, I make $5 million. And then all of a sudden they say, I make $399,000 to try to avoid as much audit focus. That's my hunch of why they don't necessarily want to be more stringent. You mean because there are businesses whose income jumps around so much year to year, you're saying that it's hard to put a real cutoff of the dollar threshold here. Right. Right. Or, you know, someone could be avoiding taxes. Someone could be underreporting their income. So they fall under that threshold in the hopes they'll uh, evade scrutiny. Right. So it's going to still be a, a huge issue here because it's it it leaves it unsettled and and the IRS did finally you know Republicans have been pushing for this for this plan from the IRS on how they're going to use this money for weeks and weeks now and it so it finally came out I have to say it looked like a lot of paper with very few actual hard numbers in there to wrap your arms around and understand you know how many people are going to be audited, who who are they, that kind of thing. If you're looking for those kind of details, you don't really find them in this 150-page uh, report. And so I think it, I think the upshot of the report is it, it leaves this still very unsettled and will still be this big political football on Capitol Hill in terms of IRS funding, right? Absolutely. I think there is still a lot for Republicans to, you know, still be able to say, hey, we think you're going to do this or do that because you haven't been concrete on it. And there's, you know, a high level breakdown of funding, but you're not seeing like line items. This is not a budget document, you know, with that kind of detail. And so certainly Republicans are coming right out of the gate, making clear they're not satisfied, making clear this has done nothing to deter them from, you know, absolutely hating this policy and and, and wanting to claw back this most of this money. Um, and I think we're going to see that in, you know, battles to come over the annual IRS budget. Uh, the IRS in this plan makes clear that it is dependent on the IRS budget not you know suddenly evaporating and that is something that house republicans have control over they have that leverage they can't with a you know democratic senate and Biden in the white house just rescind this funding tomorrow but they can go after the annual budget especially that enforcement account and I think that's a fight we're going to see as September draws closer. Yeah. So we'll have to watch how the IRS funding battle plays out because it is going to still be hot and heavy, I think. But you've been busy this week with a lot of other tax issues, too, that we wanted to, to get to here. Congress is in recess, but the Treasury Department is not. And so they've also been busy issuing a lot of tax guidance, uh, one of which, Laura, is, is this other huge fight. Um, over tax credits for electric cars and trucks, right? And who gets those, who is eligible for those tax credits? You've got an administration eager to promote electric cars as green energy. 
but real pushback from a certain centrist Democratic senator who wanted to make sure these cars aren't being built in China. Yeah, this is only escalating, basically, this fight between Joe Manchin, who was you know, such a big architect of what ended up being this August law that Democrats passed, their big reconciliation package, and the Biden administration. Um, you know, it feels like a really different tone from when he was there, you know, getting the pen that Biden signed the law with to now where he's, you know, really telling the administration that he is going after them on this. He's urging people to write in, to push Treasury to go in a different direction. And this is really about this balance between that Democrats gave all of this money in an effort to fight climate change, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, transition to a future less reliant on oil and gas and coal. But they were trying to do multiple things at once. And it's also trying to force supply chains out of China so that the U.S. is not as dependent on uh, China for security reasons and as sort of that uh, things heat up with China and also trying to promote U.S. jobs, you, you know, by U.S. made. And so I think trying to do multiple things with these credits is is coming back uh, to create some problems. It's an interesting tension. I mean, and you can see Manchin's point. I mean, here they are. The administration wants to give tax credits up to seventy five hundred dollars per car, I believe, um, mm-hmm. to def- to de- lower the price of these electric cars that are super expensive. We should say compared to. <laughs> Having recently bought a car, I can tell you that I wasn't able to buy an electric car because they're super expensive still. I think they're $50,000, $60,000. I mean, there was no way my budget would allow for that. I question even a $7,500 credit is still not very much. I mean, when the, when it costs that much to buy one, I wonder how much good that's going to do for the average, you know, the average person out there. But um but be that as it may, you know, I, you can understand the reason for trying to promote electric cars if you're serious about climate change. More, you know, the more you get away from gas-burning cars, the better. On the other hand, you can also see Joe Manchin's point here, which is, look, if we're going to be subsidizing effectively these cars, we damn well be- better make sure they're not being actually made in China. But it gets so tricky because... A lot of these cars, you can have components made in China, right? And then they get assembled here. Does that count for a credit? How how are they handling all those com- the complex arithmetic there of where cars get made these days? Yeah, so it is basically a very complex formula. And what Manchin wants and what the Biden administration is doing, you know, it it's in these small details that the fight is happening. Uh, basically you have to source a certain percentage of these minerals that are basically used to make batteries that power electric cars uh, from the U.S. or friendly countries, uh, like those that have free trade agreements with the U.S. Then the other half of the credit you can get if you are assembling the battery in North America. So there are multiple pieces to this. The controversy has been over the mineral sourcing rules. 
because such a huge amount of the refining process that basically creates this powder out of minerals that gets sprayed onto batteries. It basically so much of that is controlled by China. And so what has happened is there's auto companies that kind of want to say, look, give us just a teeny bit more flexibility here because we want to do this, but we don't want to not have any cars qualify. We don't want to have these discounts that are supposed to promote this impossible in the next few years. And Joe Manchin is saying, that's not the concern. Meet meet the obligations. Get out of China. You know, source the places you're supposed to source, and then you can get them. But that we should not be providing these subsidies if it's not a strict, yeah, a strict sourcing view. So it's a very interesting debate. Do we have any sense as to how many cars would qualify for these credits at this point? Any sense of percentage of, you know, of the ones that are made here? How uh, how many are likely to be able to qualify? So we won't know for about another uh, 10 days or so when basically car makers have to certify what models could qualify, Um, but expecting it to be few. That's sort of what, you know, car trade groups and even, you know, others have hinted at is that it's pro- it's going to go down. And there's, you know, currently, I believe, 30 plus models listed on the website that can get credits. Now, there may be some cars that can get half the credit, uh, but not the mineral part. So that would be $3,750, I believe. So, you know, that's yeah. a significantly so smaller discount. It's a complicated issue and sounds like it's not going to be helping a lot of people very soon despite some Democratic best efforts here last year, but we'll see how that plays out. And then on the other hand, you also wrote about this week, Laura, um, some some tax credits that uh, Manchin might like uh, that are designed, again, on this green energy vein to help coal communities that are struggling as they try to phase out fossil fuels. Yeah, so that's another piece of the big package that Democrats passed. And Uh, basically the administration pulling from that as well as the bipartisan infrastructure law that passed in 2021 uh, rolled out some funding as well as this guidance. Um, So essentially what it means is that if you are doing, starting some kind of clean energy project, you're going to build wind turbines or put up solar panels, or you're going to uh, have a power plant that's, you know, clean power. Um, If you put that in an area that has had coal mines closed, that has basically lost jobs that were in coal, that were in fossil fuels, oil and gas, or that are these uh, contaminated brownfield sites. If you put your projects there, we'll give you extra money. We'll give you extra tax credits to do them. And the administration really pushed this as we're helping coal communities. And I think that's a big part of the message they want to send is that we're going to be able to transition to a 
clean energy future that allows us to meet our climate goals, but you're not going to lose these good jobs uh, in fossil fuels that people you know, have worked in for many years, or we're going to help communities that are maybe hurt by this move away from coal and to, for example, wind power. Um, so, so they're trying know, to assist them in that transition. It's, it, it's, it's, it sounds like a really uphill task. I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to get thousands of coal miners new jobs in these clean industries. But, um, and to what extent tax credits ease that is, is, is unclear, but it is an effort to do that, right? Yeah, it, yeah, it is. And I think, um, you know, we'll see because this is just being rolled out what the uptake is. But, you know, I think you can certainly say that if you build the project in in one of these areas, I mean, that's much better for the that local economy than if you don't. And, uh, you know, it was something that uh, Bob Casey from Pennsylvania supported and something that also, you know, clearly benefits Joe Manchin uh, in West Virginia. And, you know, his office has been kind of celebrating some of the funding that's coming to West Virginia for even just some of these studies of, for example, like, let's turn waste from coal mining into the minerals we need for, for example, you know, electric vehicle batteries. So, it's certainly also, you know, something to watch uh, politically as some of these swing states or tough Senate races uh, are places where those efforts could could help. Okay. A lot of tax developments to watch for. We'll be covering it all for you. But that's all the time we have for today. You can check out all of our coverage at CQ.com or RollCall.com. Thanks again, Laura, for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time.